Hello, everyone, and welcome to Horrorspiria. My name is May, and I am so excited for today's episode because it's on a topic that is very personal for me, but we'll get into it. We have a special guest, which makes it even better. So without further ado, everyone, please welcome Amber. Hi. Hi, May. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited. Yeah, totally. So Amber, we became like social media friends. We I mean, we're in the same like, I guess, like community or horror circle or what I mean, that's the beauty of social media, right? Is Mm -hmm. that you sort of just like follow people. I've been following you for a while now. And I love your reviews. You have such amazing reviews. Thank you so much. Detailed. (laughs) And like, you do what every great reviewer should do is that it goes beyond the scope of the film uh, while still being very much about the film. So um, so I always love when you pop on up. But before I keep like gushing about you, why don't you tell people like in your own words, like, who are you? What do you do? Well, basically about just over a year ago, I realized that I had way too much horror movie knowledge and I had seen way too many and I was driving my friends crazy. I was like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? People were like, no, shut up. I don't want to talk about this with you. (laughs) (laughs) So my friend was like, you need an outlet. I was like, okay. So I started posting the pictures on Instagram. Like I just started posting screen grabs with like short little reviews, not really usually more than two or three sentences. And my quote unquote gimmick as I call it which is every post I do like an FFO at the end so if you like these three things then you'll like this film and I started to get you know some make some great friends on there and then I found I had as I watched more I had more to say so the reviews kept going they kept getting bigger then I started to reach out to like horror publications like the amazing Ghouls magazine who I write reviews for Necromancy magazine Grimoire of Horror and I do more long form reviews for them Then I started the podcast in last October, I think it was, because again, I was just like, I just have more to say. I just need to like get it all out in the public. I am so happy to be part of this wonderful little community that May, you yourself are also a part of. I'm so happy to have met you and like all the other amazing people that we interact with. And yeah, it's just been an amazing year and a half, I think it is now. I love that. You just really took it upon yourself because I've always been obsessed with horror too, but I never got the confidence to explore it weirdly um, other than, you know, like watching everything that ever came out. But I never decided to wait in the waters until I got assigned the class. And now it's like, it's the, e- well, easy in the sense that we both really love it and we really love talking to other people about it. And my favorite thing is learning about different cultures and talking to an international community Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Especially because, I mean, sorry, shade to everyone in my country, but sometimes (laughs) the American horror community is like very um, classist in a way. Like it's like there are such clearly defined almost like political economy markers. Mm -hmm. But what I love about finding people on Instagram, things like that, is that, you know, we love aesthetic, but we love talking to each other. Right. And so um, and so, you know, now you have like this really awesome little horror publication, horror review thing going on. (laughs) I think that that's inspiring. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're totally right. Like one of the most amazing things about it and you know social media gets a bad rep and rightfully so because it's a cesspit a lot of the times but getting to speak to people around the world and 
it, that in turn opens up your eyes to so many viewpoints that you'd never thought of. And that in turn, you can use that when you're watching horror movies, getting recommendations. It's just, oh, it's just amazing. Love it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so our topic for today was chosen by you. And I was so excited because... Um, I almost like you you browsed to my website and you were like, I see that you haven't done Japanese horror. Let's do Japanese horror. And I was like, yes. And the main <laughs> reason why it's taken me so long is Japanese horror was the first like international cinema for me. Like, uh, you know, The Ring came out when I was eight and um, I, I was always like a studious little kid. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is where did this come from? And, you know, that led to Ringu and everything else. And so um, I grew up in a time where like when I was eight, nine, 10, um, the like there was no YouTube. There were no like video, mm -hmm. like Internet was still really uh, it was a bit more established. What there was was asianhorrormovies.com <laughs> and it was the only like it was like one of the very first streaming sites like ever mm -hmm. like before the massive you know databases that people have now um like it was one of the few and so like from ages like 11 to 14 I would come home. I wouldn't like, I never watched cartoons mm -hmm. because I had AsianHorrorMovies.com. <laughs> and so I, I like, I watched, it, it started with Japan and then it bled into Korea. But Japanese horror cinema is like my gateway drug. And it's almost like too important in ways. And so I almost, that's why I almost like avoid it. Cause mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know, like ever. Everyone has said so much. What can I say? Uh, but I sincerely appreciate you pushing me towards this because this is one of my absolute favorite topics. And it was my first love. So it's very sentimental for me. Same. I'm so glad you said that. I can like hear and see the passion in your voice about J-horror. And I'm like so happy because same for me, like I consider J-horror and that's a broad term, which I'm sure we'll get into, but that's yeah. my favorite subgenre of horror and kind of similar to yourself I kind of got into it around like when I was growing as a person and being more aware of frightening things in the world and yeah just of all the countries who I, I love foreign foreign horror absolutely adore it but right. of all the countries Japan has always had like this grip on me so I'm just so excited to get into this today. Yeah absolutely what was the first one you ever saw? Oh, I think like most people, it has to be Ring. Um, yeah, it was quite a quite a funny experience. I basically I had I um, remember I went on holiday with my parents when I was very young, maybe the same age as yourself, or maybe uh, let's say ten. And they had a bunch. Um, my parents' friends had a bunch of like uh, bootleg VHS tapes, and <laughs> and I remember one of them was Ring, and I was definitely not old enough to be watching it. Um, but I did. Yeah, looking back, it's a lot, right? <laughs> right? I did. And I really did not get that far through it. Um, I never finished it at that age. And then the worst thing was where we were staying, we were on holiday at this very old um, farmhouse in France, which my oh. mom and dad's friends were doing up. And there was a well 
um, in mm. the garden. So mm. <laughs> that just like ruined me. Um, mm. Then after that, I didn't really come back to it until my late teens, just when I had uh, gone to university, uh, late yeah. teens, early 20s. I came back to it with um, Juwan and One Miss Call and um, went back to Ring and was like, oh, fuck, this is still terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it holds up weirdly. Mm-hmm. I too, like, like you, since I saw it so young, I also had like a little bit of a reprisal and I was like, was this as scary as I remember? And I just remember it being like, just as good. Mm-hmm. And honestly, maybe unpopular opinion, American remake is just as good. It's really good. Um, It's one of the better American remakes. Usually I'm like, oh, they're like American remakes of foreign No, films. yeah, totally <laughs> same. But it, it really stands up. And you mean, you know, it's got Naomi Watts in it, so it, it can't yeah. really fail. But yeah, no, it's it terrifying. Was, it wasn't until I was doing research for this one that I didn't realize Hideo Nakata did The Ring 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think he I think he wanted like he wanted his hand in it. I think that's a big part of why also why the American remakes of The Grudge kind of well, the first one I enjoyed, the Sarah Michelle Gellar one could work because yeah. the original director had a hand in it and I think that definitely helps. The Grudge is also such an interesting example because it didn't translate out of the country. Well, in Mm -hmm. the sense that they kept it in Japan, you know, but we had this American proxy and it's it's such an interesting film when you look at it in the scope of all the other ones. Yeah, it's, you know, nothing had ever been seen like this before in like, I don't like to use the term quote unquote Western society and western horror we had never seen anything like this before to get like to the core of it you had a question earlier or or really you brought it up like j-horror like what does that even mean so i guess let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that j-horror we typically use it to describe like the set of horror films coming out of japan particularly in the late 90s through the early 2000s yeah Mm -hmm. that's like okay Okay, cool. That's what they, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Japanese horror and J horror, I think, are two different things. And yeah, you're right. Yes. I think J horror refers to that kind of late 90s boom of Ringu and Juan, etc. To talk a little bit outside of the larger scope of Japanese horror, you know, Japan is in and of itself a very unique example for. like film history overall because it was able to develop almost independently of the western countries like western europe and american film industries were very much like talking to each other even though it was obviously quote unquote like a primitive time for filmmaking and japan follows some of the same trends but like japan didn't get sound film until the 1930s which was much later than the west but the like really cool thing about that is that going to the movies became like more of this cultural participation like they didn't they would do some of the like westernish silent symphony sort of thing but they typically like to perform their silent films via a benshi method which is like a narrator a pianist it's it's almost like a storytelling form like a literal play-ish almost storytelling Mm. form of cinema um But so while we have the early 30s in uh, the UK, the US developing their early forms of, um, you know, horror films and, you know, obviously the Germans and German expressionism, there isn't like this big, so to speak, 
movement of horror in Japan during this early time, but there are a lot of dramas and stories about ghosts, mm-hmm. right? Like ghost culture and, and well, you know, like just the folklore of the Japanese people um, naturally blends into so much of their everyday life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I'm, I mean, like like we mentioned before, I, I mentioned to you on Instagram, I, I lived in Japan um, for a couple of years. Um, so and I really am no expert at all. But from what from what little that I know, um, Japan is a country that really holds its superstitions like near and dear yeah. to its heart. And, yeah. you know, ghost stories and ghost ghost culture and beliefs that um, certain spirits or, or yokai or yure or things like that are very much yeah. real and very much a very important part of um, yeah. the film history, like you said. It's this really interesting concept where there's a lot of skepticism over here. And it's, and you know, I think the Japanese people are very spiritual people. Um, mm-hmm. it, I'm not sure if I would use the word religious, so to speak. Like in America, I would say religious, but I think Japan, and that's like the difference, right? A lot of the Christian ideas, especially in American horror, are very like Christian oriented, mm-hmm. very much tied to this idea of a soul. But in Japan, it's more like the dead are already walking among us. You know, mm-hmm. like we interact with this in a daily life. It's not like this like separation more yeah. than in the West, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You see that in films like Kuroneko, a film like that, where I suppose if you put it in like a Western context, the ghosts in it would be, it would be a big deal when they show up on the screen and the living person would be like, ooh, but they're very much like they interact as they're humans. The line between the two worlds is really very thin. And yeah, Yeah. that's again, part of a huge part of Japanese spirituality is that thin membrane between living and dead. And that's why it's so important to keep the respect and contact with your ancestors up. Yeah, which is where a lot of the anxiety or horror, so to speak, builds in a lot of these films, right? Typically, like when when we talk about Japan's first horror film, what comes up is Onibaba from mm-hmm. 1964, right? Uh, this It's a fetal tale about a mother and her stepdaughter. Husbands are away at war and they're trying to make it work in rural Japan and it's based on the Shin Buddhist tale of this mother with a mask that is trying to frighten her stepdaughter into staying with her that way she doesn't run away with like some other man or something and instead what happens is the mask gets stuck to to the mother's face you've seen Onibaba yeah yeah I have a Hanya tattooed on my arm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I mean it's, it's not the mask from Onibaba, but it's the same it's um a Hanya, so it's a, a mask from like traditional no and kabuki theater in Japan. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, no, yeah, I I have I'm really due a rewatch of it to be honest. But yeah, I have seen it. It's very just really quite terrifying um and, yeah. and but very beautiful and very simple. I always think and something that always as you mentioned earlier, Japan's horror cinema history is a bit later than that of, you know, American. And films like Onibaba, often I think they look older, they feel older than they are. Like, yeah. you sometimes feel like you're watching this silent relic from the 20s. You're like, oh no, this was only oh, the, the totally. 60s. <laughs> yeah, no, it really was. And one thing that I, I don't think I 
pointed out earlier, and I do want to make a bit more explicit, is, yeah, like this culture, the spirituality is very uh, in tune in Japanese culture, but especially this notion of vengeance in mm. the afterlife, right? Like vengeance is very much um, like there's it's the underlying theme of almost every yeah. single <laughs> Japanese film. And it especially pops up in Onibaba with this. It's, it's a vengeful wartime story, mm. right? Um, and it comes at a really interesting time. So one thing I, I wanted to backtrack to mention is... Um, Yes, J Japan's film industry was like indep uh, was independently developing outside of the West. But like one thing is that World War One didn't really affect Japan the way that it affected the European industries and mm. the way that it also boosted the American industry. And so um, I mentioned that because this is also around the time that Japan get starts building a lot of its colonial power in Shanghai and in Korea, and they start colonizing those industries. And not a lot of these films have survived. I've tried to find them. Like, I I really want to see these Japanese interpretations of Korean cinema, of Shanghai <laughs> cinema. Um, but the reason why that's important is obviously World War II happens. A lot of stuff happens in World War II, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but with the fall of World War II, the Allied powers move in, right? And so mm -hmm. for about five years, there is this um, censorship board that is run by the Allied powers. And basically, they ban Japanese cinema from talking about nationalism, patriotism, suicide, slaughter, brutalism, basically everything that like <laughs> could somewhat even relate to the war was yeah. like, Banned. But in 1950, the board was disbanded. And this is where we begin to get this quote unquote golden age of Japanese cinema. And yeah, Onibaba is considered like the first horror film, whatever that means. But we get a response to the war in a different kind of genre, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I specifically always think about kaiju movies. Um, yes. which were pretty, well, I say pretty big in Japan. They were absolutely huge <laughs> in Japan <laughs> and still are. So yeah, you get yeah. like, the, you get Godzilla, Mothra, yes. King Ghidorah. Um, and I always found it interesting that, you know, Japan was a country that was pretty much blown to smithereens by yeah. nuclear weapons um, at the end of World War II. Yeah. And then, as you said, censorship for years. And then when we do get... Um, free reign it's these stories of horrific mutations coming out yeah. of um, nuclear waste and i always yeah. think um if you compare that to the american nuclear oh God, waste yeah. or like i don't know in, in like um, american um narratives not just american like quote-unquote western again it's always like the nuclear waste or makes a superhero or something comes out <laughs> and it's like a kind of not good <laughs> not it's so imperial but yeah 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 but then you get in in japan they're like no we get giant yeah. mutated um yeah. lizards coming out yeah. of the sea um yeah. yeah yeah and then you get a cultural icon like godzilla who yeah is just I, I love godzilla so much. no yeah yeah no she's i my first well no okay no yeah okay so this is what happened during COVID, obviously, I was I wasn't one that wanted to risk going to the movie theater. I waited mm -hmm. until I was vaccinated. But 
in 2020, that is when all of these like drive-ins started popping up. Oh, right. And mm-hmm. I love a drive-in and they're so rare. It's legit, like low-key for real, my dream to run a drive-in theater oh, one day. You like, do it. I, I w- like, trust, I'm yes. not going to start a foundation and be like, nope drive-in theater (laughs) um anyway so there was one in queens new york and i wanted to see my friend and i was like okay i'll visit um and they were playing godzilla so i saw godzilla (gasps) the night obviously the original one um in a queen's drive-in and it was just magical it's like that is how like you you just get it i feel or at least i we both get it where it's like it's so you know it's camp but it's also so meaningful and um and Godzilla is going to come up in a big way when we talk more into the specifics of J-Horror but I mean not to sound so obtuse but she's just like an icon yes (laughs) iconic (laughs) you know all of them are I love all of them I mean I love Mothra I mean I'm I hated the new ones, um, but uh, 2016, I think Hideo Kiano released a new uh, Shin Godzilla, and that was so good as well. Like, I haven't seen it. It's, it's good. really good. It's really good. Okay. It, it's very much um, about like the political side, like the bureaucratic um, reluctance to get anything done. That you, you know, is quite poignant watching it from a co- post-COVID standpoint. To be honest, uh. yeah. <laughs> this response to the war in Japan really comes across in these genre films, right? These mm. genre monster films. And even of themselves, we we had like monster-ish movies somewhat in the film realm before, but like it felt like the world changed after Godzilla globally because mm-hmm. it was like the monster film. And yeah. we and that's when we get a lot of the exploitation films in America as well and all the independent films. But what I was going to say is like the American response, especially to the war cinematically, was a lot of like war patriotism near like fictional documentaries, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, we had to espouse this war hero image afterward i mean of course you also had like the code working in america which Mm -hmm. did limit the gruesomeness so to speak that things like godzilla can could have really dug into but i think it's really interesting that again japan the jap or really this movement in japanese filmmaking was going through a genre lens through a very fantastical but also very tethered to reality people could immediately see the connection it was not hidden so to speak and this ties into what when we were talking about an onibaba because while onibaba is based in a folklore and it's like a it's folkloric in a sense um the mask was also very symbolic of the disfigurement of the bombing so Mm -hmm. in these like very first japanese horrors we're really getting this response to something that you know, was just traumatic, right? Yeah. Traumatic mm-hmm. almost even seems like an understatement. Yeah, I, I mean, I think arguably you can probably see the effects of the bomb in Japanese cinema today. Um, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm no expert and I'm not have not studied it, but I would not be surprised if, you know, it was still a very prevalent theme um, as, right. you know, as I guess like you, we still see... Um, this like war hero image in films from the West today. It's very much, you know, the... It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, 
Sorry, yeah, I, I always have to, no, I always have to, I, it's like a weekly thing. I tell my students, I'm like, do you guys know that the military helps fund Marvel films? Like just need, need, need to put that Marvel. in there. Thank you. Oh my God. I, yeah, I, I was thinking, sorry, sidetrack, massive sidetrack. I always think it's funny when people like on Twitter are like, oh my God, Chinese cinema is just propaganda. I'm like, have you seen oh a Marvel God. film recently? No, it's <laughs> like, so bad. It's so, and they don't hide it. Do you know that Walt, the Walt Disney Company has a global security outreach team. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you, and it's it's literally in the like job description. It's like ex-CIA employees Holy prefer shit. or something like that. And I'm like, what do you guys think that that's for? Oh, <laughs> I should not know that. Oh, uh, no, it's really bad. It's really mm. bad. Um, so to get, I guess to, Inch along a little bit in this history so we can get to, like, the, the granddaddy, I guess. Um, so we get these, like, little twists in atomic storytelling and genre uh, that begins to, you know, we get horror films coming out. But I think the next major one that comes after Onibaba is maybe my favorite, and it's Hasu. Oh, which is so good. Just... <laughs> Like, it's so joyful. <laughs> that from start to finish, that film is just a laugh riot. I rewatched it uh, not two days ago, actually, for this pod. And I was just like, this film is so good. <laughs> yeah, like there's not a wasted frame. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't think I like it. Um, and then I waited like a year, I rewatched it and I'm like, this is the best movie ever. I think, I and I think that's like the best feeling. Like when you watch something for the first time, you're almost just so caught off guard. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? Like, I also had that feeling when I watched The Happiness of the Categories. I um, haven't seen that yet. Oh so my God. It's been on okay. my list for ages. No, really yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's great, but it, it definitely was another one where I was like, huh? <laughs> like okay. what? Um, but I, I love that. So House has a really interesting history. It all started because Toho, which is one of the biggest studios in Japan, saw that Jaws was blowing up in America and they were like, hey, maybe make a version of Jaws, <laughs> which was popular in Japan. Like, you know, these little weird knockoffs, which sometimes I always preferred the Japanese version. We don't really get a Jaws with I, I would never, I would never have thought, oh yeah, this, this is Jaws. I mean, aside from the piano <laughs> munching away on fingers, like I would never think oh Jaws is in this film. <laughs> yeah. So given, when he was given that direction, what he did is he sat down with his 13 year old daughter oh. and he said he did so because Kids see things in a way that, you know, when we learn, when we become adults, we're learning like the language of adults and the language of social norms. But his daughter could just see things for what they were. Mm. And he said that if he were to try to have done something like Jaws, it would have had to come through this lens that he couldn't see through. So he sat down with his 13 year old daughter. Uh, they had a long list of just things that happened. She was just like, she was just describing to her, to him, things that she would see in dreams. So and cute. that really is the basis of what happens in House Super, because it's just so random, right? Oh, yeah. And most of that is because of his amazing 13-year-old daughter's brain. He then hired a, a screenwriter, which based the general story on, actually, I think it's like an English 
folktale, but I'm not sure which one right off the top of my head. It's not a straight adaptation, oh, but um, I didn't know that. it was inspired by one. All of these inspirations don't even look anything close to whatever was first contracted for him to do. And I think that that's what makes How Seuss so amazing. Yeah. And also another response to the war, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think something that always sticks out to me about How Sue is is the the overwhelming happiness that runs through this film. And I feel yeah. like you see this a lot in veins of Japanese culture. I'm I'm thinking more like kawaii things, like this this push to cutesiness, totally. this this like totally. don't don't think about anything bad, don't think about anything wrong or evil or scary that happened. Let's just have cutesy little you know, animals with big eyes and little giggly schoolgirls, and let's all just have a good time. And that's house pretty much. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be so niche. And it's funny, I'm not on TikTok, but I've had obviously TikTok sent to me because culture, I guess. And um, there's this uh, amazing TikTok from a few years ago. If you've seen it, interrupt me. Uh, but it's it's like the a map of Asia and it's Japan. It's a little mouth of Japan being like talking to all the of all the countries that colonized, which in the TikTok is like <laughs> half of Asia. And the little Japanese mouth is like, guys, I'm so sorry for colonizing you. Like, <laughs> oh, I want to be friends with you now. <laughs> and they're like, Japan, shut up. Like, you were so mean to us. You bullied us. You you took our blah, blah, blah. And Japan's like, oh, come on, guys. Like, that happened a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. And the little colonized countries keep talking. And then Japan's like, but what if I bring kawaii? <laughs> and then the rest of the Asian cultures are like, Japan, shut up. We're not going to fall far. Oh, it's so pretty. <laughs> it's so true. And, um, it's so and true. And that's Japanese culture. Yeah. I mean, like, how could you be mad? They're I like, know. so. Yeah. It's like this. It's like this. Let's paint over all the terrible, terrible thing. I mean, Japan did some of the worst atrocities, human rights atrocities that you could even imagine. But, you know, when we see the kawaii things, we're just like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't and matter. it's a sense of irony that uh, it's distinct. Right. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, distinct yeah. because I I think it's also like a self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I you know, um one thing and, and we'll talk about this when we get more into the nitty-gritty of J horror, but like for me it was always Japanese and Korean cinema. And I I'll even be a little controversial here. I think I prefer Korean cinema just a little bit mm-hmm. more. But I think because uh with Korean cinema there's more of an inherent sadness. Whereas yeah. to um J- Japanese horror, there's obviously like this doom there, but I think there's almost more of an inherent irony like an inherent cheekiness yeah 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 um it's very very nuanced because both cinemas and and i mean they're cinemas that speak to each other like some of my favorite films are things like the wailing mm. that like directly <gasps> take on this dichotomy of yeah. japanese and korean mm-hmm. tensions but yeah so how sue mm. just complete <laughs> complete that shit but also so to, to i guess relate this to the original point of it being you know related to the bombings obayashi was born in Hiroshima Mm -hmm. and like literally was like right at ground zero and yeah you see that uh laced very subtly but very Mm -hmm. distinctly in a film like Haosu right yeah definitely I mean even in the the house itself which you know we traditionally think as a place of safety 
right. is trying to kill them all from the inside. I didn't know he lived in Hiroshima. That's really, um, thank you for telling me that. I, I lived, that's yeah. where I used to live in Japan. I lived there for a year. Wow. Um, so I wish I'd known Have you that. seen Drive My Car? No, I get it. <laughs> I'm so behind oh, yeah. on all the like Oscar movies this year yeah. and I know it's going to make me cry so I haven't yet. House is very much everything inside the house is is coming to life in this like right. way that you know it's not about radiation or anything but it could you know Absolutely. It, what is making these inanimate objects act this way we never we never find out but it could be implied that you know there's some kind of radiation that's fucking with the the DNA structure of them and is making them all crazy yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah I just Love it. A very vengeful movie as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like these. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. Kawaii and vengeance. I mean, it's like that beautiful sweet and sour. It's happiness and death, right? Technically, it's a gruesome film, but not really. It's so camp. It's it so is. like, in, in ways, it's just, it's very queer without being queer at all. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. I mean, you have this gang of young girls who, I mean, and there's only one, well, there's Mr. Togo, I guess, who kind of is completely fucking useless. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's and they, you know they're all discovering parts of themselves and facets of themselves with this amazing, cool auntie who I fucking yeah. love, auntie. By the way, yeah, no, she's amazing. <laughs> and, and 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 at the same time, like I think there's a way to even think like, is she the cause of it all? Like, yeah. like you know, like there 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 are so many layers to how Sue that at its core, like at, at face value, actually, it may not seem like like what is this? Like you have no idea how many times I, my students are like what did I just watch there's nothing to interpret here and it's like actually there's, there's a lot many things yeah, to interpret yeah, yeah. here so much um so uh, I think from my end that I, I wanted to point out those things now when we were planning this episode one thing that you listed that I was like oh I I had never really heard of that before and I was gonna go do research on it but I was like no I'll let Amber <laughs> tell me about this um was this idea of the lost decade because now we're beginning to get into so house is from the 70s mm -hmm. Um, but then comes the 80s and whatnot. So can you tell us a bit more about the concept of the lost decade? Well, yeah, it's basically, I mean, coming out of the war, um, Japan was obviously, you know, um, what do they say, chopped liver for a few decades. But right. then come the 80s, there was this like economic boom, a lot of trade with America, you know, um, a lot of technology, which is a huge thing that we'll yeah. see um with the later J horror, um, cars, computers, phones, things like mm -hmm. that, and you know, in the in the eighties, Japan was at arguably its most prosperous economically, and mm -hmm. you know, every bubble has to pop at some point. So it was it was nineteen ninety one when the you know economic bubble kind of popped, and then you know what always happens is when you're so far up you can only go so far down so then we have this period right. of like economic stagnation which is really not fully over in Japan I mean I don't yeah. know next to next to nothing about economics but what I do know is that Japan has never really recovered from that period of in the 90s to about 2010 probably I would say where it was just you know loss of jobs um we see a lot of breakup of the nuclear family which is another thing that comes into J-horror it's gonna be huge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> massively massive suicide spikes um yeah just a, which we also get again directly. yeah again <laughs> yeah. in so many so, all of this is gonna pop yes. up <laughs> so 
so you know for for the what we're calling J horror the late 90s to 2000s the lost decade was really arguably like one of the biggest causes for what we now see um what we now think of as classic J horror we're setting the stage but there's this really interesting thing about J horror right which absolutely the the time frame that you said is typically what we consider J horror but there is this film from the 80s that tends to get like, but this is where we see the beginning of what's to come, right? And that's with Tetsuo. Oh, Tetsuo, yeah. right? Tetsuo, right? Yeah. Tetsuo. Yes. I love this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This movie is just batshit. It is such <laughs> a difficult I mean, I always think of it as like it's in my top five films of all time. It is such a difficult watch but it is so worth yeah. it. And afterwards, you, I literally feel like I've been like attacked afterwards. I'm like sat there oh, panting yeah. like... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's visceral. It's such it's an visceral. onslaught. Just non-stop yeah. grinding metal in your, in your face, like screaming at you. And I fucking love it. And it's so poetic. It's like, you know... Um, it, it, it's like poetry, but like poetry done with a chainsaw. Yes. Oh, I, mean, I love that description. Um, I might have to steal that for you. Sorry. <laughs> so I have a bit of context about this film, which I, I love what uh, Shinya has said about this film himself, because this is going to also set the trend in like, we, so far, the few films that we've talked about are like very connected to Japanese culture and and the backbone of their storytelling and their beliefs and whatnot. But the interesting thing about J-Horror is it was all of the cultural stuff that you just set up with The Lost Decade. It's all of it's still this um, deep Japanese um, irony and the thin veil between the living and the dead. But we're getting filmmakers that are specifically influenced by the West. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what makes Jap or, or that's what just made it so accessible to us and, and so translatable in many ways. Yeah, it was foreign in a lot of ways. But I mean, Shinya himself. So this is from an interview that I watched for the pod. Um, he said that his biggest influence. Well, first off, he said Godzilla came out when he was in elementary school and he was like his mind was blown <laughs> because even that young, he could sense that everything was inspired by the hydrogen bomb. And, you know, mm-hmm. this it wasn't like someone told him about that. He said that as young, like, he could see the darkness mm-hmm. that made up Godzilla. And he was like, it was the horror of war yeah. that made the the monster black, that made the monster dark. And he said that, that would, like, kickstarted something in his brain. But what influenced him more than because essentially he gets known for being like the cyberpunk first for for like creating the film that was like the cyberpunk mm-hmm. uh steampunk japanese uh cyberpunk icon right mm-hmm. but he said other cyberpunk films didn't influence him the more than 
David Cronenberg. Yes, he said, the body horror. Video, he said, Tetsuo is my love letter to Videodrome. Like, he said that the organicness of technology being so intrinsic to the human body and, and mm. the soul was his driving force for Tetsuo. And I think that is, like, maybe not obvious when you first watch it, but after the fact, you're like, yeah, this is, like, Cronenberg, but, like, done at a different symphony done in a done in a Japanese key, right? Um, so much so that it doesn't even become like inspired by Cronenberg, it becomes its own self. But after I heard him say that, I was like, oh shit, I, I get that yeah. so strongly now. Yeah, it's this like this amalgamation of flesh and metal like together. And I feel like with Cronenberg, he's obviously the master of that, but he he at least gives you a break in his films. Like there are moments of downtime. The Iron Man does not give you a second to rest. And while we're talking about the Iron Man, I have to say shout out to Kei Fujiwara, who was the, uh, she was the cinematographer on the Iron Man. She also, um, and she never gets enough uh, love. So I just got to give a little bit for her here. She also created the drill phallus, um, which I just love that a woman created that as well. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's a film... When I first watch it, first off, I think it's like we we can call it an avant-garde film. Oh, like yeah. to me, that that film is, as you say, just challenging. And I think um, what one thing that I think we'll talk about maybe more in detail later is like this gender disparity but also how gender is treated on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's it's different. In, than like Western exploitation, so to speak, but um, there definitely are tensions and um, and I. It wasn't until you sent me the message about Cian Sono that I found out about that stuff, and I was yeah. like, I'm actually I I, I want to talk about it later, but um, my point is, as you say, like the images though in and of themselves, they almost are like. They, they challenge the very binary of genderism in and of itself, mm-hmm. where like Tetsuo can be read as a queer story. Oh, Tetsuo 100%. can be read as a story outside of even binary notions mm-hmm. of human gender and whatnot. And, and and at the very core, it it is just about this fusion of technology that you can think might only come from a place like Japan that has that is at the forefront of such technological culture. So so yeah, the Iron Man just becomes like I I love Tetsuo so much, even though I think um it it it's almost set apart from J horror in how highly unique it is, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, the the only film I've seen that is similar to Tetsuo is Nine Six Four Pinocchio, which is another um, cyberpunk film. It's about a sex robot um, who get who gets loose. But again, it's like this onslaught of like grinding metal and just constantly yeah. in your face. And that is another film that really fucks with gender um, in the same way that awesome. Tetsuo. I mean, Tetsuo is a is a gay love story. It has two men yeah. at the end who join together to create this genderless form. Um, and Amazing. Says, he says, "Our love can destroy this whole fucking world." Yes, like, I know. I love gay icons. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the editing for, I mean, as you say, the cinematography, I think, is the key to Mm. the film. But the editing is just like, 
right now I'm staring off thinking about it. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I feel like it's one it's, of those um, movies that, I mean, for me personally, I love it, but I can't watch it more than like once a month because I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I need like, to slide Once down. every few years. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. So, you know, Tetsuo is really the one that kind of begins the trend, but we don't really get the wave, wave, wave until now the time frame of like the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Um, so I, like I said, Ringu, I think was my first, but I can't tell you like a very strong memory of, I know that I watched it, but I don't have a strong memory of it. And so when I came back to J-Horror, the film at that time that was blowing everyone's minds was Battle Royale. <laughs> so I always associate my reintegration with Battle Royale. And it's funny, I think Battle Royale might be considered the least horror-ish if, if we're talking about like supernaturalness and whatnot, but it's because it's about the horror of humanity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so let's talk about Battle Royale. Battle Royale I is just... I love Battle Royale. I, yeah. I don't know, you know, there used to be basically... Um, uh, Takeshi Kitano, who plays the teacher mm-hmm. in Battle Royale, he used to have this weird game show um, called Shut Takeshi's. Up, really? Yeah, called Takeshi's Castle, um, and it's exactly <laughs> what you would expect from a like stereotypical Japanese game show. There are like boulders being thrown at people; they have to jump <laughs> across like riv- rivers of lava. It is hilarious, and they used to play it on TV in the UK here on like Sunday morning. Oh so God. whenever I was like, you know, eating breakfast, or when I got older, whenever I was hungover after a night out, I would watch Takeshi's Castle, and he would be like the ringleader. He was the presenter, and then when I watched Battle Royale, I was like, oh my God, that's that's Mr. Takeshi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then then I saw Battle Royale absolutely blew my mind i had never seen like how did you see it do you remember um i don't think I saw or what it. year oh no i must have been again this is probably the time where i just put everything together is probably my late teens but it could have been the only I mean, reason let's why say I 16 let's say 16 is so battle royale was literally banned from distribution in oh, the okay. uk and in the us and uh so legally we couldn't like buy a copy. It wasn't, it mm-hmm. never was screened in theaters. Um, so I remember how I watched it because I had heard of the controversy. And back then, obviously, there was like no Amazon or anything. So it yeah. was already sort of difficult to like go out and buy DVDs. Um, and so I watch on AsianHorrorMovies.com. <laughs> the classic. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, back then, unless you were torrenting, which I wasn't, I did a little bit of LimeWire. <laughs> Go ahead and get me feds. But um, yeah, but I, yeah, so I, that's why Asian Horror Movies was like, I. it was a combination where it was just so easy just to go to this website, just to press play. Again, before YouTube, yeah. uh, I was like, I'm not going to risk it with downloading stuff. I'll just watch a movie up on here. And mm-hmm. so, and so, yeah, that's how I saw Battle Royale. So I did see it, I, not in 2001, which is I think when it came out, I think probably around 03, 04. Um, but yeah, I was able to get around it that way. That's why I was curious to see how you watched it. I yeah, I don't remember. I definitely, definitely wasn't legal how I watched. Okay. It. Yeah, no, <laughs> which that. is amazing. Yeah, so like this is like so. I mean, it was just. First off, this was before the Hunger Games as well. So like oh, this yeah. idea of I remember. I mean, I was that age, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, whoa, this is 
really violent, but I love it. Like it's yes. because yeah, it is super violent. And the reason why, I mean, technically there's no way for countries to ban, ban things outright, but what happens is distribution studios, product, well, in, in the UK and the US, um, distribution studios, production studios, they're scared of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So really that was what was going on during this time. This was a little bit right after Columbine um, and a few other incidents in the UK. And so pretty much no distribution company wanted to touch it because they were like, this could be a lawsuit if Mm -hmm. anything is repeated. And, um, and that's the at the core of Battle Royale, right? It's the fact mm-hmm. that it's like a post or it's a dystopian society. Um, they choose a high school every year where they all have to kill each other with a surviving yeah. one, right? Or not even a high school because one of In them. The, well, yeah, the the first when you the film. At the start, we see. I think it's like an elementary school, maybe. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. Had so I think it's just a school. There. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just like any school. Yeah, because you're right. That's like the iconic image of the little girl with the bloody uh, stuffed yeah. animal, right? Yeah. I love her. Um, <laughs> so visceral, right? And so oh, that yeah, was so the good. reason behind a lot of the controversy was just the ver- the fact that it was actual young people mm-hmm. being ruthlessly murdered typically by each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very, it's a very, um, it's one of those films where you can see a very specific f- cultural fear in it. Um, I mean, Japan is is a society where having worked in Japanese schools, there is no fucking around there. Like, the rules sure. are solid. Um, you know, they still, in a lot yeah. of them, they still uh, use physical punishment. Um, yeah. The kids clean the school after lessons are done. I mean, of course, you get the little asshole kids here and there. But as for the most part, Japanese students are very well behaved and, and do respect the school system. So to see this downfall, this disrespect for, and it also comes back to the, uh, a lot of um, Japanese um, traditions come from Confucianism, you know, the respect mm-hmm. of the elder, um, mm-hmm. the breakdown in respect for the elder, you know, these kids, mm-hmm. they don't care, like they just go up to Takeshi Kitano and like stab him or something at the beginning. Um, and I just loved seeing that. I think, no, actually I have remembered where I heard of it is because I had seen Kill Bill um, yes. And yes. Chiaki that Kuriyama. is a big thing. Yes. Quentin Tarantino. Um, so obviously Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he like rips off so much Japanese film. But yeah. Oh, yeah. In Kill Bill, Gogo Yubari was played by Chiaki Kuriyama, um, who oh. plays, oh, I forget her name. Um, the yellow tracksuit girl, basically, in Battle Royale. Oh, Real. man. Yeah. She's so yeah, awesome. Yeah. And I saw her. I was like, love her. Yeah. I also had a huge crush on Masanobu Ando, who plays um, the bad guy, Kiriyama. Um, yeah. I was obsessed with like his bleached hair. I just thought he was the coolest thing ever. Um, yeah, just such a fucking good film. Love it. Yeah, and a film, um, as you say, derived very specifically from a very specific aspect of Japanese culture, sort of pushed to the brink, but also a film that satirizes uh, some of the kawaii culture, right? Yes, yeah. With the the very uh, introduction of the rules to this. I mean, it's like straight out of like a, a J-pop video, yeah. right? It's yeah. amazing. Or as you say, like face. a game show. It's very yeah. game show-like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then of course, like one of the lasting legacies of Battle Royale is just like look at 
the YI, the YI, the YA fiction genre afterward. Um, I mean, Battle Royale itself is based on a manga, mm. but um, it, it's it's very hard. You know, I, I know we don't need to get into the Hunger Game things here, uh, but um, I think it's just clear that if it wasn't intentional, there's just so many ways that that film just seeped into the global cultural like mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though weirdly, I feel like I don't hear about it talked as much anymore. And I think that's just because, you know, other Western things knocked it off and that became sort of the topic. Right. Squid Game 2 that came out that had a very similar premise, yeah. not with kids, obviously, but, you know, the, the yeah. whole concept of killing people off until there's one winner. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't hear it given Real as talk, much that's love why as I, I haven't think it still should. watched Squid Game, not even because I'm against it, but just because I feel like at this point I've seen it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's um, why I never watched Hunger Games. I never, I like that cultural zeitgeist missed me completely because I, I mean, was just like, I've seen Ben Royale. Yeah. So, like. <laughs> no, yeah. So I watched it out of curiosity. And after you like start, it's like, well, fuck, might as well finish. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was so dissatisfying. At the end, I was just like, wow, how soulless. It's just not gory either, right? Right? It's just like no, boring. It's not, it, yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, Battle Royale still to this day, even even though I feel like in ways it's been forgotten by a cultural memory. In ways, um, I still think that it it's just as visceral as it was back mm-hmm. then. And I and I don't think anyone can touch it yet. I never saw Assassination Nation, but that seemed like something that was trying to flirt with like the tone of Battle Royale. It's very Tumblr. I haven't seen it since. Yeah, uh, it seemed like Tumblr goes very Tumblr. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, dude ended up making Euphoria. Like like, whatever. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like I still think that there's this unique magic with battle royale that i'm not sure anyone could ever replicate um it makes i wouldn't want them to try either yeah um (laughs) but i guess we let's begin to talk about the big ones right so ringu juan Mm. yeah um so these movies like what are these movies about (laughs) Mm. so Yeah, a history lesson. No, so I, I get. I mean, obviously, the 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 vision of what we consider like the Japanese ghost is the vengeful female spirit. Go, the yurei, like, the yurei, the yure, yes, yurei. the yure, the vengeful, the white dress, the the stringy black hair. It's for a Western audience, we think, oh, the ring invented that, but no, that's like an ancient Japanese oh, yeah. piece of folklore. I mean, to yeah. to Japanese audiences, that would have been just. Um, something they'd seen before. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I remember when I first watched Juan, and I still yeah. consider the Juan franchise my favourite of all time, even though like 90% of it sucks. Um, I had never been so scared in my entire life. I had literally yeah. never been so terrified. And yeah. it, it sparked this need this drive in me to watch every Japanese horror film I could get my hands on and I'm still finding them Um, and there are ones that have slipped out of my grasp after I got into Juon there was this series called Tales of Terror from Tokyo Mm -hmm. and it was on they were all uploaded to YouTube in good quality with an English dub, uh, English sub sorry and they were absolutely friggin terrifying just like five minute shorts yeah Um, 
they are still on YouTube, but they're all in Japanese and my Japanese is not good enough to understand it. So if anyone's listening and knows that, sorry to massively sidetrack, please get in touch with me. (laughs) (laughs) No, amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Hideo Nakata is like the dude, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, well, his films became the most popular to me, actually, when I think of like, who's my Japanese horror auteur, there were two answers. Takashi Mika, because Mm -hmm. like holy fuck all even things like itchy the killer which yeah. technically i know not a horror but to me it's a horror i'm like oh uh, yeah it's horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> um and Sion sono actually i really mm. suicide club strange circus um i i, I loved all of his films but Hideo Nakata I mean I also loved all of Hideo Nakata's films and he mm-hmm. he's the one that arguably had the most successful western crossover as you said with um mm-hmm. the American remakes and whatnot um and one thing that is really interesting you may know this but I'll, I'll say it out I'll say it now um as I said with uh, Shin Yu, with uh, uh, David Cronenberg, Hideo Nakata said that like one of his main influences for Ringu and for his style was The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And you I think you can see that, yeah. see that in the combination yeah. of the yurei because she's not so... Yes, it's maybe like slower, but there's definitely a manicness mm-hmm. to um, all of the versions of the yurei that he plays with. That does remind me of like Linda from The Exorcist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sadness there too. I mean, yeah, I, I always feel even though Sadako and uh, Kayako from Juan, even though they're evil spirits, I just feel so sorry for them. There's like a very oh, yeah. deep sadness to their stories, which I'm you never also anti. see with... <laughs> Yeah, I'm never yeah, anti no. any of these villains. I love them. I love these girls. But you see, yeah, again, you see that in The Exorcist. You know, Reagan is a little girl. Yeah. She doesn't deserve what's happening to her. And even when she's spitting out the worst things you've ever heard a human say, you're just like, oh, poor baby. Yeah, my favorite of his, of of his, I think, and I think it's Nakata, um, is the one you have to help me remember the name. The one with the 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 villain is like F. And they, they oh, go down. Oh, um, oh. Maribito. Yes, Maribito. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Maribito <laughs> to me was like the encapsulation of mm-hmm. like this really metaphorical drive down into the underground and into filmic worlds and into the monstrous feminine that we're talking mm-hmm. about with this Ure figure, right? And I think that's also something that maybe should be said more explicitly here is that. This is around the time of the death of celluloid, right? But a lot of of his films specifically play around with the very idea of celluloid. And this is from the country of Sony, the country of Panasonic. Mm. Um, the object of fear itself is the materiality of mm-hmm. film, which would somewhat make a lot. And maybe we can talk about maybe this is why the trends so to speak began to die out in the 2010s but it it would be hard to see a lot of these films properly translated in our current day with our current technology because the materiality of the evidence the fact that you put the videotape into the thing and it and you would die in seven days yeah there's a ritual behind it exactly or in Mm -hmm. maribito where you're where there's the filming and the finding of the tapes and whatnot Mm -hmm. um to me it, it also like made them scary 
here. Yeah. But it's also like a meta narrative as well. Yes, it's about this spiritual thing, but it's also about the very nature of the technology and the content of the technology, yeah. right? You could never, you know, something like Ring and, you know, the na- the mimetic nature of the distribution of the videotape, the passing on, the, the, the fear that one day it might come to you, that could never happen now because we are all exposed to the same content constantly. Um, one of the biggest things that was scary about The Ring and uh, also in One Missed Call is, you know, it could, this piece of tech could come to me one day, I could be the unlucky one. But now, you know, there's, there's no fear there because we're constantly getting um, things shared to us and shoved in our face without asking to see it. So yeah, yeah no, you definitely couldn't, um, it wouldn't have the same effect nowadays. Yeah, totally, totally. So, um, so Juwan is your favorite of of the crop, you would say? Yes, and it sucks so much. <laughs> so one thing I love about Juwan is that Takashi Shimizu, who directed it, he has basically had a hand in all of them. And the timeline of Juwan is really skewed. It goes like this: the first one is called like four 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 four. Then there's Juwan the Curse. Then there's Juwan the Grudge. Then there's like Jew on the Grudge too. Anyway, it's an absolute mess and <laughs> a lot of them are so terrible. But the one that we mostly think about, the one that got the remake is Jew on the Grudge. Um, and that's the one where, um, you know, it's got the iconic scene of Kayako cracking her way down the stairs. It, it introduces oh us to God. the split I, narrative. As soon as you said that, I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember seeing that and just instantly obsessed instantly completely obsessed um to the point where i have tried to watch every um and this is another thing with japanese horror a lot of it is a very hard to come by Mm -hmm. legally um very Mm -hmm. hard to come by because a lot of it doesn't get a huge distribution um uh, english-speaking distribution so a lot of Mm -hmm. them you can find but they don't have subs or whatever Mm -hmm. but anyway yeah i've tried to keep up with most of juon and he's bless him shimizu has kept trying and he's never really got back that that same sense of fright that he did with you on the grudge um yeah just a monumentally scary and you know so much of that film is you are never safe even when you think you are even when you get into your bed you are not safe oh yeah it's it it, it haunts yeah i I remember that that's so unique right um Mm -hmm. yeah no juan did you ever see uh i know this is going to be sacrilege but i'm curious did you ever see the 2020 american version i tried i really did um with with lynn shay I think she was. I in remember it. the director because you know why I ask. I love the director's first film, which was The Eyes of My Mother. I love oh, that movie. Okay. But I, I, so I haven't seen the Grudge movie because I was like, I can't see how this would be good though. No, I mean, I th- if it's the one because there, there was two. There was like a TV show that came out quite recently as well, which I also haven't watched. But the, yeah, the twenty twenty one. I think it had Lynn Show. I think it had John Cho. I ha- I oh, really I think no, yeah, try. I think it did. I think that's exactly. Let me, yeah. Okay. I, oh, no, Nicholas Pesh is the is the no the this one. It stars Andrea Riseborough. Oh, and Lin Shay, no, Lin Shay John Show. Okay, Andrea Riseborough is really becoming. I like her a lot. I mean, I lo- I like I loved Lin Shay John Show's great. I just 
Maybe so like you literally guy. had to stop it i just not that i was angry i just didn't care i was just no, like oh, yeah God. and you know i know a lot of people have said like oh the original juan is so slow and nothing happens i'm like well that's not true it's not true <laughs> and also you have to go back to this was this what came out for me personally this came out at a time where i had never seen anything this yeah, goddamn tense on screen yeah. before because that, that, um, that's the thing it's a tension right yeah that, that is one thing that I think then does become different with like Korean horror. And I think maybe mm -hmm. that's why I leaned into it more because especially with Park Chan-wook and Bong Joon-ho, those movies are like boom, 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 yes. boom. Mm -hmm. But the Japanese films were definitely about a little bit more about atmosphere. Again, not yeah. saying Korean horror is not about atmosphere. It absolutely is. But like there's this very slight nuance where it's like mm -hmm. the tension, the breath, the fact that the very horror itself is lying in the shadow and not coming yes. directly at you so so quickly. Um, some of the films from this time that I think are a bit underrated because, um, yeah, I would say Battle Royale is my favorite. Takashi Mika, you know, I think there was definitely a time where audition was just like my life, especially because yeah. I was a, a little baby emo. And I don't know <laughs> if you know this, but My Chemical Romance, their video for not vampires with i i'll need a one of their videos from their first album which is the album before they blew up um mm. not to say i'm an original my chemical romance <laughs> fan but um it was an adaptation of audition oh, and i was cool. like oh my god this is so, oh, wow. so like that is what got me to watch audition which mm -hmm. was so it's like it all coincided right at the right time so i have a very important spot in my heart for audition for audition rocks yeah yeah for my, my students are probably going to listen to this and I make them watch audition it's so hard <laughs> choosing one of the films but I the thing about audition um is just that it's almost everything at once technically not supernatural but the very aesthetic of the yure is transposed yeah, asami is you know yeah. the, the white she still has the white shift yeah. gown she still has the long uh not stringy she's got gorgeous hair but the, the yeah. very long straight yeah. hair um and she's yeah. still out for vengeance so yeah, yeah. even though she's yeah. not supernatural she very much is still a yure figure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like you know, so iconic. But I, to mention a few that um, typically I feel don't come up as often, but I remember watching them again back when I was a teenager and thinking like, oh, my God, this is so wild. Mm -hmm. I think of things like Carve, the slit mouth woman. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> I I love uh, the other one was I love Exta. I loved mm -hmm. um, uh, goodness. What else? Uh, there's some really this this time you get some really you get also infection infection which was 2004, yeah suicide club one. also suicide club yeah uh, there's one called vampire clay which I think was around this time which just, <laughs> yeah um uh, I already mentioned strange circus yeah so um so yeah I think what I just loved about all of them also just like the effects work is so beautiful in these films. The happiness of the categories, uh, definitely for sure. Noroi also <gasps> had like this really, yeah. That's in my top 10 favorite. Let's and maybe talk about Noroi a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, because it's Noroi unique was, in the sense that it's found footage, right? Yes. And mockumentary mixed yeah. together. I, yeah. I remember watching Noroi and 
when I watched Neroy, again, it was this late teens time. It was... It, it, Neroy again didn't have a release for ages in the yeah. West. Um, yeah. And yeah. so when you found it, I think I watched it on YouTube, maybe. I didn't watch it until a few was, years ago on Shudder. So it took a while oh, for me. Right. Yeah. It didn't get released like legally on streaming until I think a couple of years ago. But right. before that, when I found it, I found it on YouTube and I genuinely, it was like stumbling across a genuine haunted relic. I, yeah. For, for a I knew it wasn't real, obviously, but a, no, br- yeah. a brief The quality of, of that film much... is purposely low, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And imagine finding that. You know, it's yeah. like I used to go through these binges, like searching through YouTube, trying to find these scary films. I found it and I was like, holy shit, I have found a real cursed film. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just, it's just absolutely terrifying. And yeah, Koji Shirashi, who directed um, Noro, he also directed Carved, which you mentioned. Yes, which, I love um, the design like, of Carved. I like Carved, yeah. I mean, Kuchisaki Ono is such a iconic piece of Japanese um, yeah. folklore. It's definitely, I mean, yeah, it's not as highbrow, I guess. It's not very scary. I no, wouldn't say it's but, scary. But it's just like, <laughs> it's just so fun. Yeah, and, um, it is, it is. And yeah, in, in ways that's... I. So maybe to talk a little bit about Sion Sona, I think that's why I liked... Uh, so many of his films is that they weren't necessarily scary, but they were like depraved in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes that was the excitement of the Japanese cinema because I know that because what in that time of American horror, there was like the rise of torture porn, Eli Roth mm-hmm. and things like that. And like none of that was even appealing to me. But nice. seeing these really warped as you say, the breakup of the nuclear family, we get a lot of that in Sion Sono's uh, filmography. Um, though disappointingly, uh, recently it's come out that a lot of, uh, that that he had been sexually harassing a lot of women on his mm-hmm. films. And when I read that news, I have to say, I was like, the vibe of some of his films does not make this doesn't land as a surprise like yeah I, I yeah i i never want to be like oh how did people not know but i, I know that there's a very specific tension to i think i recently watched cold fish which yeah i think he released in 2010 and yeah. that's just a really horrible experience it's a good film a really good film but it's yeah. just the whole time you're like oh yeah no, and Should so I be seeing this? no, and so that's something to mention too, though. And and actually, one thing that is, and so I did more research after you mentioned this to me. You just started like a whole thing. Um, Sorry, <laughs> no, but important. No, this is so important. And um, and and yeah, I mean, it it makes you. I don't know if I could with the context now. I don't think I could watch things like Coldfish or Strange Circus ever again because mm. it already made me deeply uncomfortable seeing these um the way that family is manipulated in very intimate and honestly sexual ways. It's like, yeah. um, that's sort of the point, like in things like audition, you know, it, it, it that's like the point of it, right? It's like the vengeance mm-hmm. around that exploitation. And it definitely gets into questions of like, you know, well, 
how how do we handle that then like 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 what where where is the line so to speak mm-hmm. like how when should we show concern and i think it's very telling that a lot of the japanese industry is just like completely ignoring the fact that these things came out because i mm-hmm. think there is this maybe permissibility that it's like well you guys wanted art like what mm-hmm. what do you think happens on like there's some things are always going to bleed through a little bit but it's for the art yeah. And I think that's definitely more acceptable um, or at least more openly acceptable in Japanese culture rather than in America, where it's a lot more hip- hypocritical and yes. a lot more puritanical, whereas Japan's like, well. I mean, it's it's uh, this sounds really awful, but it's the fact that it's even news in Japan means it's a big deal. Um, yeah. Japan does not have a great history of yeah. um, how women are treated in the workplace. Right. Um, they, they haven't. They're just now beginning to get their own kind of Me Too movement. But basically the word feminist is a very dirty word in Japan because yeah. they have this um this um. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into it too much because I'm yeah. not like I, I'm not qualified. But yeah, the fact that it was news in Japan where often sexual assault and harassment in the workplace is just kind of like eh, glossed yeah. over. Yeah, it, it makes me really kind of think, oh, God, who else are we going to hear about next? I mean, yeah. Takashi Miyake is seen oh as like oh a very no. close friend. Yeah, I. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that was my. Scary. I was just like, um, okay, am I gonna have to like throw out <laughs> like half yeah. of my faves? Um, but you know, if that if that happens, then it happens. I mean, that that's what sort of makes the cinema itself so appealing and transgressive because we appreciate the transgression because we're able to be like, wow, what a well told story. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, there are things that maybe we don't know, but I think one thing we can speak to, because I agree, I don't necessarily want to speak in the place of uh, Japanese women or anything like that is the lack of, of Japanese female filmmakers in the genre, um, there's not many. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. When I sent that, I sent that message to you about directors that I was interested in covering, and then you said, "Can we talk about some women too?" And I was like, "Oh shit, yeah." There's like no, not a single I, woman on that list. No, I. It's something that I. Whenever I, I, I build my classes, I really try to look at the range of the national cinema landscape because I know that obviously when I Google something, maybe like it's going to be the most popular result first. It's not going to tell me what is being missed here. And so I have tried to go off on my own and try to find the Japanese female filmmakers. And you found names I had never even heard of. So I appreciated that I asked you. Yeah. But that's and something I that... I thought of three off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, Maria Sato? Yeah, Maria Sato directed... That's the only one that I knew of, yeah. Yeah, she directed Juan Black Ghost, um, which is the only, really, the only reason I... And, and Fatal Frame, of course. Um, But I knew her through Black Ghost, which was a segment of Juan. Then Kei Fujiwara, who we've spoken about, who worked on The Iron Man, she also directed a gore film called Organ. And mm. who was the other one I met? Oh, Mika Ninagawa, who directed a film called Helter Skelter, which is is horror and 
it's more it's more like a psychological drama um, right. but it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen if you can mm. watch it check it out because it's absolutely gorgeous but yeah I could only think of three off the top mm-hmm. of my head mm-hmm. compared to you know the tens of <laughs> hundreds so many that we've just, <laughs> of male yeah. directors that we had just like listed off which is yeah. it's very disappointing but you know that we see that in Every country, basically. No, we we do, we do. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, You know, I definitely think there are very feminist aspects to a lot of J-horror, especially like, like when I think of like, the feminist uh, uh, J-horror film, I typically think of things like Audition because it is Mm. so much focused on her vengeance. Um, Of course, there could be a reading like her vengeance is being exploited by this male gaze, which definitely Mm -hmm. fair, but um, I definitely do think we get... I mean, we get a more female-centric uh, horror in and of itself when we look at Japanese horror. And I think that was part of what made it very appealing when it began being translated in American, British, European markets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, e- there is a huge lack of women behind the scenes in J-horror, but in front of the camera, pretty much every big J-horror film I can think of is female centric yeah, or has a female lead is, um, a, a I guess, I guess I think the, maybe Noroi is yeah but it's about the boy you know and so yeah, there's like the yeah, I mean, maternal about, yeah maybe Cairo but no there's no yeah, if I mean, anything the only thing that's that was a sausage fest was Itchy the Killer, but I think the fact that it was a sausage fest <laughs> but was I think, the point. Yeah, I think that was, yeah, exactly. That's a film about ha- about men being men. Men, exactly. <laughs> Guys um, having fun. But yeah. No, yeah, because even in Battle Royale, like, as you say, like the main, the, the, I mean, so many women rise to the top yeah. rather than the men, mm-hmm. right? It's like the women are hunting them down. Yeah, and then uh, there's a great, the great scene where Chiaki Kuriyama's character um, stabs the guy in the balls because he won't leave her alone. I mean, there's a lot of female sent female acted violence against men as a as a self defense or vengeance, like you said. And that's again part of what I think makes J horror so appealing to women is because yeah, Yeah. I want to see like a ghost rip a guy apart sometimes. I just need that. Yeah, Um, and so I think we can begin to I guess talk a bit more about one how it began to phase out but to me a lot of the phase out also has to deal directly with Korea because um, I think Japan set the stage um, but then the Korean wave came a little like you get a tale of two sisters around 2003 2004 2005 that becomes the very first Korean film that gets actual uh theater distribution in Mm. america which is like crazy to think about um and then you get the rise of bong joon ho right 2006 Mm -hmm. and then you get park shun woke i mean like we talked about how battle royale was name checked by tarantino but tarantino also was like old boy you know and and whatnot and um and so i think i i Obviously, I'm not an expert on this. This is just what I've noticed, like having taught this course for a few years and and, because Asia is also not my focus. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to sound too definitive out of this. But what I feel like happened is you get this rise of the Korean genre cinema that becomes 
like a real threat for Japanese cinema. And we don't really get Korean remakes or anything, but I mean, especially nowadays, we just see how Korean properties just completely transfer over without yeah. the need for a remake. Mm-hmm. And, oh, um, yeah, and I think that definitely challenged a lot of this Japanese hegemony as well as, you know, I mean, as we're saying, a lot of these films were based in the very materiality of the coming technology, but it seems mm-hmm. as soon as, Everything moved to the digital sphere. We no longer have, uh, unless you're Tarantino, you're not really shooting on film anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you you get this now very saturated media landscape. And I think um, one thing that I think definitely became a lot more popular was this huge rise in anime culture. Yeah, it was definitely there before, but I think in the 2000, I mean, it's the it's been like I think post 2015 that like I will just talk to any American, it doesn't matter the racial background, and they probably have an anime that they like, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that was definitely different than from when I was growing up, where anime was still, it was very popular, but it was very niche popular with certain people, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think a few things happened at, like you said, early 2000s, we have the Korean horrors coming in, also, Takeshi Miyake in 2003 released One Missed Call, which yeah. I love One Missed Call, but it is not a good film. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, I, won't even, say, I won't even say that I love it. I'm like, yeah, no, it's I there. love it. I love it because it was one of my first. But going back, I'm like, God, this film is just trying so hard. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like the death knoll. And then after yeah. that, you just get like trying to bring oh, Sadako versus Kayako. Like no one cares. Yeah, but yeah you get like, like said, these really weird. So terrible. <laughs> I don't know, just I like, just like, really? This is what we're yeah, doing? So it it's just this to refusal like, sh- to evolve. Yeah, like, it shot itself in a its foot a yeah. little bit yeah. and um and then korea kind of took over because they had yeah. really interesting stories coming out of there yes and they focused a lot less on supernatural horrors and more yeah. like yeah. human like you know yeah. the vengeance trilogy the evil of mankind and i also yeah. feel like i feel like the west can only handle one asian country honestly at a time. dude that, <laughs> you know that you honestly, know that meme of like toy story of like andy no, throwing true. woody in yeah. the bin he's no, like truly. I don't want to play with you anymore and it's like after the truly. 80s and 90s and then the 2000s come and everyone's like I don't want to play with Japan anymore no. I want to play with Korea <laughs> and we're still in that but I feel like Korea is about to be thrown away and you know the next Asian country will be um, like the thing I reckon it's going to be Indonesia that's that's my Indonesia prediction. is I bet you know I gotta say into I so during this time and Indonesia has really been showing up lately, but I remember another country I really loved during this time was Thai cinema. Yes, to me, yes. it was like, mm-hmm. if I wanted to be tense, I would go to Japan. If I wanted <laughs> to get like this cultural, because I feel like the Korean films also are like epics, like A Tale oh, of Two Sisters. So <laughs> no, yeah, that's it. A Tale of Two <laughs> Sisters is just like this... To me, it's obviously a horror, and I remember it scared me. But I think when I watch it now, I just cry through the whole thing because it's just like it's so. It's like Shakespearean. It's It's so Shakespearean. So whenever I wanted something that I felt like would be a bit more of an epic um, and more based in like history, I would go to Korea. But if I just wanted Mm. like bad shit. 
just like no whole like no bars on anything i would go to the thai cinema and i yeah. still think mm-hmm. um thai cinema was transgressive in grosser ways than even japanese or korean cinema were um because it was almost like an onslaught you know old boy and things yeah gross things happen throughout but it builds and builds and builds and that's the point mm-hmm. but thai cinema was just like yeah, we're just gonna <laughs> do whatever the fuck we want. Yeah, I need to. I need to expand my time. I mean, I only really know of you know Shutter. Of course, everyone knows Shutter, Shutter. and Shutter is kind of. I love Shutter, but it is kind of a J horror like. No, yeah, not rip off, but it's very yeah, influenced. No. Um, but then recently, the medium blew me out of the water. Yeah, and you can definitely also see because that was um, written by Na Hongjin, yeah. who wrote The Wailing. You yeah. can feel the Korean oh, style. Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's it's like five hours long. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. It is. It's it's a build, but um, yeah. I mean, God, the wheeling is three hours long, but every minute is worth it. Mainly, amazing, there's like yeah. four different. There's like five different acts in the in oh, the yeah, wheeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, if you want a suggestion, the one that sticks out to me is Sick Nurses. You ever saw Sick Nurses? I've got Sick Nurses on my list. Oh and my I've God, been looking it's, for it's, it to this day. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I can still remember a lot of the gore from it. And um, yeah, so sick nurses is just, it it was to me, one of the most creative gore fests of that time. (laughs) Even the name sounds amazing. Yeah. I love that. Um, No, as you say, I think that is very, I think low key. I always thought that too. I was like, yeah, it seems like the West could only handle one at a time though. I have to say Mm -hmm. like the Korean wave is like Squid Game was a bit of a surprise to me because again it didn't seem all too remarkable in the grand scope of all that I know about Korean genre but I could see why people would be interested in it we're at that time now where if you put Korean so-and-so in front of it people are gonna like and I'm I have I have lived in Japan and Korea and I both countries are very very dear to my heart yeah and create amazing art but I think a lot of the time in the West, if you just put, oh, it's from Korea, people are more inclined to see it positively, oh, yeah. even if it isn't that great. I mean, no, and yeah. that's hard to say because most of the stuff that makes it to the West from Korea I mean, is I'll, pretty great. I, I, I've said this on the podcast before. I, I I don't care, but I think it blows my mind that Parasite is what did it. I'm like, <laughs> really? Really? Like, I mean, yeah. it, it, like... Of all the films of Bong Joon-ho, it, it, I mean, I love Parasite, but Bong Joon-ho just probably got... I'm, no, exactly. Like, he, like, even things like Akia, I'm like, there's just so, there's so much yeah. digging in here. Snowpiercer, to me, my, I mean, even the host, goddamn, the host is just, like, it's, it's a, it's simple overall, but there's so much going so on. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so like when I saw Parasite, I, I didn't hate it, obviously, but I was like, yeah, this seems like your Hitchcock film. Like I got it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the way that the West. And so um, it's weird. It's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but there's a Snowpiercer series remake here. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I tried to, to be honest, I could, Snowpiercer I could not make is not my favorite. I could not film. make it through. Um, well, I don't really like the film that much. <laughs> I mean, overall, it's like, no, yeah, totally. Um yeah, so so right now, I guess, it, I mean, right now, when we talk about J-Horror, it's still very much in a past time sense. Now, I do want to give a shout out to one film that I saw somewhat recently that I thought I was like, this is so much fun. And a lot of people sometimes give me shit for it because they don't think it's a real horror, but I, I still count it. But it's one cut from the dead. 
I think what come from the dead is. I still haven't seen that. It's still on my list. Am I a terrible Wait, what? Person? You haven't seen what come from the dead? I no. I oh, seen I can't it talk yet. about it then. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Only because if I talk about it, I'm going to spoil it. Um, yeah. So I think that's the last one that I've seen that I really liked. You know, I'm always looking to. I think one thing, I mean, recently we've been having, you know, I always forget. I don't want to say his name, but the director of Drive My Car is having a bit of a moment right now in the West, Ryu, which, you know. Ryusuke, so-and-so. Okay. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> no, <laughs> Sorry. Again, beautiful. Like, that's why I don't want to say it. I'm like, I, <laughs> I love you, but yeah. Um, so like, that's cool. Um, I, I, I really have, a, I still have a lot of hope for Japan because honestly, I mean, the, the culture is still there. The the, oh, yeah. the the filmmakers are still there. The I, I mean, it's nowhere near that. Japanese still has a, a pretty large hegemony in a lot of spaces, you know. But um, mm-hmm. it, it does seem like there see... is no coalition, so to speak, about like what is the identity of the horror community there. I feel maybe I would like to see them be a bit braver. Yeah, I mean, like like we mentioned, we kind of get you know we still get this rehashing of Sadako versus Kayako, but then. I've been I've been trying to push myself with gore recently. Interesting. And I, I've been getting into like the guinea pig series, okay. which was a series of um, films in the nineties in Japan. Which Charlie, fun fact, Charlie Sheen called the FBI because he thought one of them was a snuff film. Um, <laughs> and films like Tumbling Doll of Flesh, which is um, a a group violent porn film basically um, which has a lot of decap- uh, limb limb hacking but those films as absolutely gruesome gross as they were there's there was a bravery to them there was like a pushing of boundaries um, that I haven't seen for a while and I would love to see some filmmakers from Japan kind of you know okay let's forget the the yurei image for a while because that's had its day we've got our icons we've got Kayako yeah. we've got Sadako um let's try something new and um I haven't what seen one cut of the dead but I I've got that on my list because I I've heard good things about it um so yeah I would like to see a bit more so what I was going to say about what from what cut from the dead is that I think why I liked it so much is it felt so different and um mm. and I don't think this is a spoiler it's very meta and I'm like I feel like no other country has enough wit and insight Again, this irony thing, mm-hmm. it really takes this irony thing to another level. And I really don't want to say anything, but you just have to watch it blind. You cannot do not look up anything about it because okay, um, <laughs> because that's how every like, yeah, they're just, um, yeah, I can't talk too much about it. But but yeah, it, it, it it's form in and of itself is so mm-hmm. fresh overall. And I think, um, and I mean, it has the, the, the really amazing thing about it is it was made for $28,000, something like that. Wow. And it, it is officially the highest grossing and like profit margin, a film from Japan, just because the budget was so low, but it made, it, it made like millions of dollars. Oh, that's so cool. Um, one thing that to talk about, I guess, where I do see like Japanese genre nowadays is I see a lot of appropriation from the West recently. Like, um, like there's this new show called Tokyo Vice on HBO Max. Um, I think 
the new David Lightish film is also set in Japan on a train. It's in Japan or Korea. I think it's Japan. Um, but everyone in it is a is a Western actor. Um, so it, definitely there's still a lot of, I guess, transnationalism going on here. But I agree with you. I wish that um, Japanese filmmakers held the forefront of their own rather than seeing mm-hmm. a lot of these genre stories sort of move east and um, yeah, yeah when, whatnot. Yeah, it's almost this fear to try something new as well. I think maybe there's this thought of like, well, we made we we made the J horror thing and that's our thing and we're just going to keep doing that over and over again. It was like, well, at some point you have to move on because obviously the J horror thing isn't working anymore. Yeah. The, the lightning in a bottle has gone yeah. for whatever reason. You know, we're out of that tech fear place now. Right. We could take the technophobia and maybe do something else with right. it, but um, I don't think we need to go back to, yeah. you know, our, our yure image. Let's try another kind of yokai. Let's try one of the other weird they guys. They have so many, yeah. <laughs> um, in many ways, I, I'm about to put something even sacrilegious out there, but it would even be interesting to see how like something like Onibaba could be remade in a in a more modern context. Because I feel like yeah. again, you have so much folk, so much history with so, I mean, God, how many imperial periods that they have, you know, not that everything mm-hmm. needs to go to so the past, much. but like there are a lot of ways. And you know what? I'm sure that they're out there because one thing that we have working against us is that we can't go research in, J- in Japanese. Right. right. And, um, yeah. and so we always have to be mindful as much as we're complaining right now. One thing that I want to give credit to is that there are probably independent Japanese filmmakers pushing these boundaries out there. And this is why distribution networks need to be made more accessible mm-hmm. because we only gain when we learn through yes. uh, through stories like that. Uh, I recently, what I reviewed the short films of the Final Girls Film Fest Berlin and there was an amazing film called Visitors Mm -hmm. which was like a kind of a Japanese evil dead type (gasps) thing and it was just so fun it was just so gory and so hilarious and it just blew my mind and so yeah these films are out there we just unfortunately we don't get to see them because like you said if you if you're not fluent in Japanese it's hard to search for these things you obviously can't watch it without an English dub um Suicide Forest Village came out not too recently by by Takashi Shimizu. Again, that was just kind of a disappointment for me because it was like, oh, we're trying to go back to this like um, this kind of gloomy suicide place. But then Visitors was just like yeah. fun and yeah. gory and just like a blood fest. Yeah. I was like, this is what yeah. I wanted, something yeah. fresh and new. Yeah, yeah. I think you're going to love What Comfort the Dead. I really, you you, okay. you mentioned and I'm like, man, <laughs> you really need to watch it. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you said it exactly well. And actually, you know, huge shout out to Final Girls Film Festival overall, um, you know, because I think yes. that is what, that that is how we do we are able to see international films films that are mm-hmm. left out of mainstream conversations um i mean we see how many people are left out of the mainstream it's just a matter of getting venues like final girls film festival yeah. which take their mission very seriously about you know representing the underrepresented voices and even you know jap we can argue that japanese horror is not underrepresented so to speak speak but um i mean more modern voices are and either way you know everyone deserves to have these platforms of accessibility that 
mainstream horror economies honestly leave out all the time. That's sort of the annoying thing. And we both love horror, but we also pay a lot of attention to the independent scene because that is really where true newness is coming out, right? Yes. Yeah. I would love to stop seeing all the remakes and reboots of yeah. the Halloweens and Screams yeah. and maybe we could give the money to someone yeah. <laughs> but that's a different topic for a different no. time and one that's not going to make me very popular <laughs> no no hey no I say this all the time actually I'm very I'll, people will be like yeah go watch this and I'm like I hated all the movies that you made me see in theaters but I all the movies that I saw over at Final Girls Film Festival which by the way mm-hmm. not to I, I, I know that we're beginning to come to our close so I don't feel too bad going a little off topic I just saw your post on You Are Not My Mother I saw that at Final Girls Film Festival. And yeah, it was one of those movies where I was like, where can everyone see this right now? This movie needs to be playing everywhere. Yes. Yeah, it is. I have I have after I posted that I had more so than ever before anything I've reviewed. I had people messaging me like, where can I watch this? Where can I watch this? I was like, well, it's, it's out digitally now. And yeah, it needs to be seen because it's just like I said in my post, it's the first film in years to give me a nightmare. Yeah. Like I have not been that yeah. creeped out in a long yeah. time. And that's what yeah, I needed, no. honestly. And it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't even think that the story itself is all too new so to speak but it's done it's dressed Mm -hmm. in its own cultural makeup and to a very specific perspective that it does feel new like at the end of the day we can we can break down the breakdown of that storyline and see how it follows other storylines but it's the very execution itself that elevates it to Something that I haven't seen in a very long time that just has a spirit within it that is scary. It's sad. Um, And to me, there's also this very underlying intimacy just in how the film is directed and in how the all the Mm -hmm. characters interact with each other, where it's just like well acted. And sometimes. Oh, the acting. Yeah. Sometimes you just need like perfect chemistry among all of your characters to really achieve a higher level of um, of execution in a genre film where you're really yeah. trying to evoke certain reactions out of the audience, right? And I think mm-hmm. um, you are not my mother again. I never, I probably never would have seen it without your uh, without Final Girls Film Festival, and then me trying to find it, and then even convincing myself to watch it. Like, oh yeah, but all of these other movies. <laughs> and so, like, um, yeah, I think that the the final thought there is like support independent film festivals. We're huge fans mm-hmm. of them because some of the best stuff that we watch, as you said, like the Japanese yeah. short that you saw um tends to be there and it's so unpredictable with distribution which is the really sad part sometimes about these things yeah and honestly like I would say as well jump at any chance you can to watch an indie feature there's so many good ones for free on YouTube that that, and even like uh, I have done this a couple of times is I've emailed the director and just be like hey I'd love to see your film can you point me and you know I'll pay you Um, and a lot of directors are just happy to get their film seen because at the end of the day when you've put all your love and all your money these are people who haven't got the huge Hollywood budget or connections not 
or it's like exactly, it's, people yeah. don't understand that yeah anyone can make a film now it's all about how are people mm-hmm. going to see it even if you put it up yourself on YouTube exactly. how are you going to convince people not to just flip on Netflix it's yeah. there's so many barriers um Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I cannot have said what you just said better. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important for us to do the the. I I always try to if I've reviewed something by an indie uh, uh, an indie creator, I always try and tag them yeah. in it. Um, and because I I want them to know that their work is being seen yeah. and being loved. And yeah, just if you can, guys, just do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you've seen an indie feature that you like, just give the. Give the creator yeah. some love. Tag them and on tell Twitter people. and let them know. Tell people because honestly, yes, um, yes, yeah, 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 share it. Uh, whenever, like I said, whenever like you post things that I already was thinking about or I had already seen, I'm like, ah, yes, that's there's my affirmation. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. and and really, that's how community is built. And I think, um, and I think that's something that we both deeply believe in, and we both are doing it in very different ways. But it's so awesome to like come together to do something like this with you and uh, to talk yes. about. Subgenre that clearly, I mean, it changed the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's also very personal for us in different ways, and it just really shows the power of um, of shaping taste, shaping perspective there there are so many times that I have seen so many different films. Like I recently saw Uma. Uh, I never got to see it. Is it good? <laughs> Okay. What I I was going to say was that um, I could appreciate what it was doing, but my first thought after that Mm -hmm. was like, well, what a neat little remake of a Japanese style uh, Korean story done from a Korean American Mm -hmm. perspective. And I don't want to be dismissive because I hadn't seen a film that tackled that exact topic, but it just felt like the aesthetics itself were a little tiring and I think that's also why it hasn't really taken off because I'm sure some people again I wouldn't say it's bad um I wouldn't say I didn't like Mm I I, I didn't like or I didn't dislike it it was very mid it was just like yes this is well done and I've seen it in some way before (laughs) okay Okay, I'll I'll watch it but I reserve my judgment I mean I think (laughs) some part of me wonders if most of the time for me wasn't built out of just the fact that I like, I love Sandra Oh and I wanted to like it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Sandra Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, come on, Sandra Oh doing come a on. genre film. Like, that's fun. Um, yes, that's so, so exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, I forgot what that thought was tied to. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I got to thank you so much for doing this with me because I really had so much fun. And I think um, and I think your excitement, our excitement, our knowledge really makes this um, an interesting dive into such an influential genre. Right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for yeah bringing your own passion. And um, I'm just so excited to speak to someone who also is so like, it like was a weird fanatic time, about Japanese I, This is a real story. Um, I don't really talk to my family anymore, but I, so I, I was into Japanese horror when I was a teenager, when I was living with them. And mm. one time I, I took one film class in high school and it's what made me decide like, yes, film was my life. Um, and so I had to do a presentation and it was a presentation on my favorite movies of the time. And it was Japanese horror. So I did, mm. damn, I don't even know what I did is 
It was like Windows Media Maker. It wasn't even like a proper editing software. And I was like ripping video trailers off of YouTube and very Uh. primitively like just cutting sections of the trailers together. And then I so I created like a five minute little Japanese horror supercut. And my biological father found it. And he played it and he was like, this is the sickest shit I've ever seen. What the fuck are you doing? Like, where did you get that? And I'm just like. Yeah. I mean, I guess back then it was like, what, 15? I guess in ways, if you had no context. And again, I I was, I chose like the most visceral of the visceral of Japanese. (laughs) Like the vomit scene from Odish. Yeah, the uh, sawing limbs, the the, the car. Like I really wanted, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was an emo. I was like, yes, I'm edgy too. (laughs) Um, So, so yeah, so I think... After having that experience so young, there's a certain bond that comes yeah. across with people mm-hmm. that, yeah, we just, we, we get it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. 